seeing what's happening around the world and seeing the conflict that takes place. One of those conflicts doesn't just have to do with what political party or what your position on an item is, but it also includes the whole idea of persecution, the idea of there are countries where it's illegal to be a Christian. It's absolutely forbidden that you would speak of your faith in And many times it's not only Christianity, not only about Christ, but anything that's not the official accepted religion of the country. Uh, And that goes in lots of different directions. But most of the time we think about it as something that has to do with the country. Something that has to do with individual peoples peoples or those who are in power. But the truth of the matter is, there's a power behind all of that. And that's the demonic realm that's behind everything that happens. And particularly when it comes to ministry. Satan will do whatever he can do, and we're going to show you this, to stop truth from going out. That is not only in the New Testament, which we're going to look at in Acts chapter 19, but we're going to look the whole way back in the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel in chapter 10 something very interesting happens that if you did not have the Word of God which goes behind the scenes and sees what's going on in reality, what no one can actually see unless God tells you, you wouldn't know what's going on. In Daniel chapter 10, it's talking about Cyrus, the king of Persia. Now remember, he is the actual physical human king in Persia. But as you go through that, you're going to see that there are other forces that are not political forces that absolutely are working and, in this case, causing conflict and actually hindering the going forth of truth. And so uh, Daniel in, in Daniel chapter 10 sees a vision. And in that vision, he sees various things. But in chapter 10, verse 12, it says this. Then he, this is the man who came to Daniel in the vision. Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and humbling yourself before God, your words were heard and I have come in response to your words. So Daniel had seen the vision. He didn't know what it meant. He went to God and God dispatched a heavenly messenger, an angel, to give Daniel the explanation of the vision. Now, I want you to see the next part. I've had people uh, say, well, this says that God isn't all-powerful. That's not true. We're not talking about God. We're talking about angels. We're talking about demonic warfare. We're talking about spiritual warfare. Notice what it says, and this is in... uh, Chapter 10, verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia. That's not Cyrus, the king of Persia. This is the prince of Persia, a demon, who is actually fighting against a holy angel that was sent to Daniel to give him an explanation of the vision. 
It says in verse 13, once again, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me for I had been left there with the, the kings of Persia. In this whole scenario, there is spiritual warfare going on. God dispenses, dispatches excuse me, an angel to Daniel. And this angel is absolutely in a battle with a demonic force. Here called the prince of the kingdom of Persia. From what I can tell from this passage and several other passages in the Old and New Testament... God, uh, God has angels that he uses to carry out his will. Nobody normally uh, disagrees with that. Fact is, Billy Graham years ago wrote uh, a book called Angels, God's Special uh, Secret Service. Um, <clears throat> and they carry out. They are the ones that carry out God's will in some ways. God can do it directly. God does it through people. But he also does it through angels. But Satan, on his behalf, also dispatches his demons to fight against them. That's one form of spiritual warfare. In a closed country, that form of spiritual warfare is very, very prominent. And it uses people, of course, politic, political people and all kinds of others. But in this case, this angel was dispatched when Daniel prayed. When Daniel said, hey, I don't know what it means... God dispatched an angel and he was held up for 21 days. So when you think about missions, when you think about countries that are closed countries, and you go, why does it take so long? Why do, don't things happen quickly? Why does it always seem that the work is hindered? Why does it seem like there are these battles against people? And why does it seem there are things that are just unexplainable happening? And you go, why doesn't it work the way we think it should work? There's spiritual warfare going on. There is literally a heavenly battle. In this case, it was only 21 days. But it can be way more than that. <clears throat> but that's exactly what happened. And so in this whole thing, there was a battle going on that, that took those 21 days. And then it goes on in verse 20 to say, Then he said to me, Do you understand why it came to you? But now, I, but I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. So notice, he's not saying it's only Persia. And that's why I would take from this that there are demonic forces assigned to various countries. In this case, it was just two countries, Persia and Greece. But notice what it said earlier. Um, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. They called in recruits, additional people, to, uh, I'm sorry, additional angels to, to carry out the battle. And then in verse 21, and I, I want to draw your attention to Michael one more time. However, I tell you what is inscribed in the writing is of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. It looks to me like Michael has been dispatched very specifically to work with the nation of Israel, Daniel and his people. All that's background for 
Acts chapter 19. Because there are things going on that you do not see. When Peter mentioned up here that we're not recording any of these services because we would not want some of this information to get out on social media, he's absolutely right. We support missionaries. We don't like to have to do this. We support missionaries that I don't know their real name because they have had to change their names because if they didn't, their lives would be in danger. And that's why it's so important because Satan absolutely will do whatever he can do, whether it's angelic and uh, forces that we cannot see in battle, that's Daniel, or it's actually Satan using the political figures, the people of power in a country to fight against what God wants to do. Remember, folks, missions is not for the faint of heart. Ministry is messy. Missions takes that to a whole new level. So when you see things happening with missionaries and you see the battle going on and you see the struggle going on, do not be surprised. It's a tough place to be. You're on the point. You are in Satan's territory. That's what happens when you are involved in missions. We need to take missions seriously. Without a doubt, and I believe at Garden Chapel we do. And sometimes we think, okay, we're just going to send somebody. Isn't that wonderful? Great. Well, behind the scenes, praying for them upholding them, supporting them, encouraging them is absolutely way more than I can describe and encourage you to do because that's the kind of warfare that's going on. It is above and beyond what we can personally handle. I know there's nothing impossible with God, but there are battles going on. Let's look now at the life of the Apostle Paul. He's on his third missionary journey. And he is going to be getting into territory that Satan doesn't want him in. And you're going to see several places where Satan uses people, in this case, to fight against the gospel and to raise chaos and confusion and just muddy the water in every possible way. In Acts chapter 19, um, I'm going to Just pick the the whole thing up in verse 10, and then we'll go to the end. But it says that as Paul was in Ephesus, he was there for about two years. And uh, it says that all in Asia heard the word. So it wasn't that Paul and his friends and his co-workers were not doing their job. The word had gone out. Remember, there's no conflict if there isn't something happening. You could... You could have the gospel going out to a closed country, and if nobody responds, eh, what's the big deal? But the moment someone responds and changes their view, changes who or what they trust, in some cases, the government only wants you to trust them. In other places, they have an official religion. And if you are not a part of that or you leave that, there is chaos in every possible way. And not only chaos, but conflict. And there's also that whole idea that you are going to be persecuted and possibly even killed for your faith. If nothing else, you will be ostracized. 
Your house may be burnt down. Your church may be burnt down. Whatever it is, your family will throw you out. The battle goes on. Well, the battle was going on. Everyone in Asia heard what was going on and picking up at verse 11. And God was performing extraordinary miracles. And you know that story. There were just uh, pieces of Paul's work work objects, his uh, handkerchiefs or aprons. They were carried out and, and they would put it on somebody and they'd be healed. <clears throat> that's, that's what God was doing. And diseases left them. Now notice the next part. And evil spirits left them. You may, you may still not be convinced that spiritual warfare is real. It is real. Whether it's whole countries and leaders in the countries or whether it's individuals, spiritual warfare is real. Satan's kingdom is not divided against itself. If you know anything about Satan and his kingdom, you realize that Satan has great power. He has the same amount of power, maybe even a little more, than any angel has. He is not God. He is not simply a co-equal with God and there's a battle going on. No, God is all-powerful. But God has made it possible for angels to have great power, greater even than we have in many ways. And so that battle goes on. But Satan is able to do things like miracles. And whenever he does it, he demands a price. And so if people are in his realm, in his kingdom, they pay a price. And you don't, they don't like to be messed with. Satan does has no love, no concern, no care for anyone. Only to do what he wants to do and cause confusion and chaos. The point is, whenever you get in bed with Satan, whenever you agree with Satan, whenever you work with Satan, you will pay a price. You look at the countries that absolutely will not have anything to do with the gospel. Look at what their economy is like. Look what their people are like. Look at their standard of living. And you see they pay a price. Because they're in his camp. Satan also will use anything. And I'm, I'm going to emphasize that. Anything to continue his deception. He doesn't care what it is. We kind of think we play by the rules. Satan does not play by anybody's rules. He just simply does not. And his demons go right after him, and there are no rules. Uh, Satan is not seen as a friend or a foe to most people. They don't even think about this. But people believe they can use Satan for their selfish ends And in reality, they land up paying a huge price for it in every possible way. And yes, there is power. We normally think that something only has power if we can see it. I went to a tractor pull yesterday, and in the middle of that, they were pulling steam engines. If you've never seen that, it's about as like watching paint dry. They're that slow. But they just keep going... You know what? There's power there. And you can't see the steam. You can see a little bit of it. But there's power in electricity. You can't see that. In the spiritual world, there is absolutely power, whether you can see it or not. 
And when Paul was ministering, that unseen, those unseen forces were being trumped. They were being put down. They were being cast out. There is spiritual warfare. And then it goes on to say that there were Jewish exorcists. They were people that were going around saying, we can cast out demons. Well, you find out that in reality, they got in big trouble because they were using the name of Jesus. They had looked around like others had and saw that what Paul and others were doing and say, hey, look what is happening. There is spiritual power in this name of Jesus, this person of Jesus. Maybe we can use that. They had been using demonic power and... uh, Satan only, like I said, he doesn't work against himself. He just makes it look like he is. But then comes Jesus and he trumps everything else. And they're like, hey, we're going to use that name. Well, there was a problem because it says, uh, they were saying, we, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Notice, they're looking at Jesus and the Holy Spirit as just one more thing they can use to control people and to do their own thing. <laughs> And it causes a problem. And the evil spirit that they're trying to cast out, and this is in verse 15, the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? <laughs> Notice, I told you, Satan and his, his minions have no love for anyone. They don't care. And this demon is looking at this guy who is thinking he has power and saying, I don't know you, but I know about this Jesus guy because we have to, we have to yield to him. He has a power over us. And that's why we can continue to do missions. That's why we can continue to do ministry. Not because we're equals in a battle. Because the one that we serve is more powerful than all of these other forces. Even in Daniel, while God did not, (coughs) excuse me, God did not directly intervene by way of the Holy Spirit. He sent another angel, Michael in that case, to fight against them. God will win, folks. That's the way it is. That's why we can put out the time and the resources and the money and the prayer and all of the things that we do for missions. Because we know we win. And if we don't do it, Satan simply continues to control And so what happens here is in verse 16, the man in whom the evil spirit was the evil spirit leaped upon them, subdued all of them. Now it's seven to one (laughs) and he is beating them up. Why? He has demonic power in him and they don't have the power of Jesus. They know the name of Jesus. They know about Jesus, but they don't have the power of Jesus. And He not only overpowered them, beat them up, but it says they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I don't know. I, I, all, I, can you picture what happened? This guy is just a windmill of beating them up. I mean, ripping their clothes off, beating them up. You know, they're bloody and bruised and they leave. Warfare is real. And uh, Satan takes no prisoners. He absolutely doesn't. But then there are also 
where Jesus wants us to be sold out to him. And so we go in a different direction. And now we look at those, in verse 17, uh, there were a lot of people who were believing. And Christ was known. And there was fear among all of them. Because they saw something very different than they had seen in their Gentile pagan culture. Someone who was more powerful above and beyond all the power of their false gods and their idols and their demonic uh, influence that they had. Someone is greater. That's why I can stand up here every week. I know that there's someone greater than anything else that's in this world. And that's exactly what's true. And so the believers, and this is, this is true, here are believers who still had the vestiges of their old life. And guess what they did? Look what it says. Jesus is being magnified in verse 18. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. And many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them all in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price and it was a whole lot of money. Here's something. They had spent a lot of money on these Magic books, whatever they were, we don't know that. But they kept coming and saying, you know what? We cannot have a divided allegiance. It's minimizing the power we have to serve God. And so what did they do? They got rid of them. In my ministry, I haven't had the opportunity to do this too often, but a few times were people who had been involved in the occult, and as I counseled with them, they, uh, some of them uh, trusted Christ. And the next thing is, there's a, a, not possession anymore, but oppression. I'm like, what's going on? Why? What do you still have in your house? What do you have in your possession that belongs to that old way of living? Well, I have this and this and this. I said, well, the biblical way, they burned it. I don't care how you get rid of it. Uh, the dumpster will work. And it's amazing. We like to hang on to those things. Why? Because there's an element of power that goes with that. You can fall back on that. See, Satan will always give you a boost, but you'll pay a price. And so these Christians said, you know what? We want a clean break. Warfare was still going on, even after they believed. And so they came, kept coming to Paul and confessing, and they said, we need to get rid of this stuff that ties us to the old way of our, our life, our old way of living. And so what they did is they kept coming. And it was very expensive. I don't know the exact amount, but it was a lot of money. Satan is all, uh, serving Satan is always expensive. I'm not going to tell you it's, it's uh, a free ride when you serve the Lord. Because he wants us to be totally sold out to him. He wants us to give him everything. And then he gives us back so that we can use it. But we get a relationship. A close relationship. Love. Fellowship. And all those kinds of things. Satan never does that. And he will use anything to bring confusion. And to cause chaos. And division. He always does that. He never works any way other than that, except on the surface. But you pay in the end. 
And so uh, Paul continues on, and we're now in verse 23. Because you'll find out that one of the things that happens when the gospel comes in, people who have been making their living, it doesn't have to be selling little idols like these people, but they make their living because they prey on vulnerable people. If you were to go to South America, you can find places where right next to a Catholic church, they will sell arms and legs made out of uh, wax and things like that. You buy them, you take them in, and and then you put them there, and then supposedly you're going to be healed. That's not of God. That is pure the occult. It's kind of mixed in with the religion of of the country. But you know what? That's what they do. It's a confused mess. Well, in Ephesus, they had an idol. And um, with this idol, they were making their living by selling these tiny little silver shrines to Artemis. And uh, that brought in a lot of money. And so people would come there, they would buy them, and uh, not only was it the idol worship, the demonic forces that they were serving, they didn't necessarily know that, but that's what they were doing. And uh, when the gospel came in, people stopped buying them. Remember, they've just taken their magic books and burnt them. They're they're taking a stand, and, and others are seeing that, hey, this Jesus might be more powerful than Artemis. And these little idols really didn't do all that they were cracked up to to do. And so they stopped buying them. In many cases, I don't know that they necessarily became believers, but they're just like, hey, you know what? That, That really doesn't have the power we thought it had. And they stopped buying them. Well, guess what? When you touch on the dollars, all of a sudden, now you have a conflict because... And that's exactly what it says. It says there was bringing no little, these these shrines were bringing no little business to the craftsmen. And so they're finding out, whoa, hold it a second. This is causing economic chaos. The gospel sets people free. And it really does. We give not because we have to or to get something back. We give as an act of worship. That's not how it works in the occult. You are roped into that. Verse 25. And these gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know our prosperity depends upon this business. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, notice this, Paul has persuaded and turned away considerable number of people saying that the gods made with hands are no gods at all. Paul had other places said, idols are nothing. Oh, you you can see the idol. That's, That's not the problem. But they're not real gods. Well, guess what? When the gospel comes in, it says, you're not dependent on the leader who puts himself up as God or some kind of demigod. You know, you've got to worship the government or a class of people or any of those kinds of things or a particular religion that they approve of that's state-sponsored in some cases or state-sanctioned in other cases or it's just this is who we are and if, if you go away from that, you're not who you really should be. It doesn't matter how it looks. 
you are messing with the normal order. And Christ has no problem messing with the normal order of this world. Because we are citizens as Christians of a country that's greater. Citizenship for Christians is in heaven. And so things change. And uh, they're up in arms about this. And they go on in verse 27. uh, There's danger that our trade is going to fall into disrepute. (laughs) Hey, all of Asia heard. People are believing. People are getting beat up because this name of Jesus is powerful. You know, and demons don't like it. All kinds of things are happening. The gospel causes the normal order of things to be disrupted. And the normal order of things does not like to be disrupted. It just doesn't. Because Satan is behind all this. And so they said, uh, you know, our goddess Artemis is going to be regarded as worthless. And we all know that she should not be dethroned from her magnificence. And verse 28 goes on. And when they heard this, they were filled with rage and they began crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And the city was, and I've used this word several times, filled with confusion. And they rushed with one accord and they were dragging people. It's a riot. The Romans don't like disorder. In fact, is the person that's going to be the, the main person here, his main job was to make sure there was order in the providence, province of wherever it was. And they don't like this disorder. They don't like the confusion. Well, guess what? The gospel, Jesus Christ, disrupts the normal order of the world. We're above the world. Ours is not a kingdom. We're not trying to take over or any of those kinds of things. They think that because their normal order has gotten messed up. And that's what happens here. And in this case, I will tell you, it's not the leaders. All they care is, you know, just keep things peaceable. But it's the people, in this case, businessmen. And Paul wanted to go in. And this one's hard. I'm not sure how to actually preach this next part. Because in verse 30, then Paul wanted to go into the assembly and the disciples would not let him. I don't know how you deal with that. Because there are places you go, well, doesn't God want the gospel to go here where it's black? Black as black can be. Where they don't want you. Shouldn't the gospel go in? You could... Put your life in danger. And that's what they were saying. Paul, you go in there, you're a dead man. That doesn't say that. But that's in essence what it's saying. You go in there, there's going to be problems and you're going to be in big trouble. And so they persuaded him uh, not to go in. And in verse 31, here's how it says it. And some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his. These are not necessarily even believers. They might be, but it doesn't tell us that. Um, they, they sent to him and said repeatedly, don't go into that mob. No good's going to come out of it. It's, it's going to be a problem. And so it's now a full-blown riot. Because guess what? In a riot, it's like an argument. Everybody quits listening to everybody else, and everybody is just yelling and 
you know, doing whatever. And that's exactly what happened. Some were shouting one thing, some another, and it was in confusion. (laughs) And this is the key phrase. And the majority did not know for what cause they had come together. Hey, there's a rumble going on. Hey, let's go, let's go have a part of it. Let's go in and see what's going on. There's a riot going on. We don't know why, but we're going to get in there. And so nobody's listening to anybody. There is no order. There's none of that kind of thing. And uh, there was, and I, I believe in this case, uh, Paul's friends who were leaders, that's the Asiarchs, and his friends are all like, you know what? You're going into there and no good can come out of that because there is not a debate going on. There's not something that you can go in and explain something. It's just chaos. Confusion is the word that the Bible uses. And finally, the town clerk who was responsible. That's the guy I was telling about earlier. He was responsible for keeping order. His, his job was not to take sides. And by the way, to his credit, this guy did his job. He did not take sides. He didn't say, Paul's right, or you guys are right, or, you know, de- uh, there's idols, uh, demons behind the idols, and Artemis is no good, or he didn't do any of those things. All he wanted was um, order. And he said, you know what, why are you guys doing this? We know that Artemis, the the idol that fell down from heaven, wasn't made with men. So what's your problem? You know, Paul's talking about some God from in from in heaven who came down. Hey, you have a God that came from the sky down also. You know, why are you fighting? <clears throat> That's where he does that. And then he goes on in verse 36 to say, since then, these are undeniable facts. You ought to keep calm. <laughs> That's all he cares is. You can have a debate. You can disagree. Just keep calm. Because he's going to be in big trouble if they have to call in recruits from the outside. He said, don't do anything rash. Uh, And then he goes on to say, and he doesn't defend Paul or defend Artemis. He simply says, here's here's the facts. Wow, that, that is just so powerful. All we need is facts. And he goes on in verse 37 to say, For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. Notice the key thing here. He picks up. Paul and his friends didn't come in and say, We're anti-idols. They came in and said, We are pro-Jesus Christ. We have to remember. It's not just win a battle. Not win an argument. We have the gospel. The gospel has the power to transform lives in and of itself. When you do come to the gospel, you will be like the believers that we saw earlier. They're going to see, wow, if we're going to follow Christ, hey, we need to get rid of this old stuff that's a part of our former life. It's not give up something and then trust Jesus. It's like, no. You need to trust Jesus. He's above and beyond all of these things. And when you do, it transforms lives. That's why Jesus Christ, Christianity, the gospel, is the most persecuted wherever you go. Now, people of all religions are persecuted by people of other religions. I understand that, and that is true. But the gospel above and beyond, because it says, you know what? All of these things are down here somewhere. We are above all of that. 
and the gospel actually changes the person's life. Life. It changes everything. And because of that, they don't conform to the normal worldview, the normal way of doing things. And it changes things. And they don't know how to deal with that. And so uh, he said, listen, there are proper ways to deal with this. Go to the court. You don't like what they're doing? Go to the court and, uh, you know, get this settled. But don't do it by way of riot. And so he said, what you're doing here is an illegal method in Rome, in the Roman Empire. It's an illegal thing. And I, my job is to make sure you guys don't have a riot. They already had it. To keep peace. He said, do it right. And then he goes on, and he is now looking out, uh, trying to save his own skin. Verse 40. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's affair. Since there is no real cause for it. And in this connection, we shall be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. And after saying this, he dismissed the assembly. And after the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And when he had exhorted them and taken leave of them, he departed to go to Macedonia. Got to give it. This politician did his job. He said, hey, listen. My job is, as a governing official is not to tell you what to believe. That's not what government's for. Government never was to enforce religion or the gospel. We can't expect the, that the government is going to back us up in giving out the gospel. What we can expect from a government and what we can petition the government for is that you're going to keep order and give us the opportunity to present the gospel. But hold it, Paul. That, that means other false religions can do that too. The answer is yes, they can. But here's what I want to say. is the end result is we're on the winning side, folks. We don't need the government to back us up or to support us or those kinds of things. What we want from the government, it doesn't matter what country it is, United States or a closed country, it's irrelevant. We want the government to do their job and to keep order. And to make it possible for people to say what they want to say. Because I'm not afraid of the battle that's going on. There is a spiritual battle. But here's what I know. We have the most powerful force on our side. It's Jesus Christ. He has paid the full price for sin. No other God has ever done that. We have a message. The good news. No other religion even comes close. We've got the... We've got it. We've got it all. But what we would do is pray. And when it says pray for those who are in authority, one of the things we need to pray is that they would simply keep order. Not that they would, oh, well, Christianity is the only religion. When that happened in the Roman Empire, it went south quick, really bad. No, that's not what we want. We simply want the opportunity. Closed country, United States, it doesn't matter where it is, the opportunity to give out the truth. Is there a battle going to be going on? You better believe it. There's going to be a battle going on. But I know that I'm on the winning side. So are you and the missionaries that we support that take the gospel. They're on the winning side. But there is a battle. Let's all stand together as we close. Father, what a great God you are.
you have given us human government. And that human government is to make it possible for us to do what is right and do what is good. It also allows, in many cases, those that have a false gospel, have a false religion, false idols, who are in league with Satan to also do many things. But Lord, I thank you that as we see these things this week, that we would understand that this is tough. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for those who give up easily. It's not for churches who get discouraged and and quit because it's hard. It's not for missionaries who back down at the first uh, sign of hardship. There is a battle going on. Satan does not want to give up his power. But we thank you that we represent Jesus Christ. And he alone is the power of this world. And he changes lives, not from the outside, not by government, not by force, but from the inside out. Lord, we thank you that that is what we have. That is what we can present to others. And we praise you that you've given us the privilege of being a part of that. But we also thank you that we have a responsibility to be a part of that by backing and praying and going. Lord, thank you so much for reminding us of that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Go with God. Remember, stay here. There's a panel discussion coming up.